0: Will perish. This is God's word. Often I don't get to use this thing, so see what happens. First of all, my name is Pete. I usually don't give you my name, but today uh, I will. Um, <laughs> uh, I'd rather remain anonymous, but I can't uh, today. Um, I'm one of the elders here, but I've uh, been here a member for, well, since its inception. So have been around for a few moons, lots of changes, lots of new faces, and I, I love the fact that it's become more and more like it is today. You know, today we're going to look at the book of Psalms, and there's a lot of stuff going on, and we're looking at Psalm 1, but those of you that were in the Gospel Academy saw, you know, we went through wisdom psalms, and psalms of lament, and thanksgiving, and praise. Uh, I told them the people that were in the group that we'd be doing Psalm 1 in church service, so that's why we didn't cover it in the class. Uh, So... You're all in the Gospel Academy this morning. Um, also, I'd like to let you know that I do this with a little fear and trepidation, okay? Um, standing up here sharing God's word is the scary part. Standing up here just talking, no, no problem. But when you have something that is um, is, is honored and is sacred, and is something that we're supposed to love the Lord, and through his word, you don't want to make any mistakes. You don't want to have any issues with it, say something wrong. So you have a little bit of anxiety over that. So I was feeling a little kind of, you know, in a funk this morning before I got here. And so I went on my phone, and Pastor Paul had sent a little text saying, you know, that he had been praying about it, you know, and told me about the farmer and the work and the crop and these things for me. And I was like, yes, thank you. And then the song that we sang here at the end is from poor Bishop Hooper, Psalm 1, is where that comes from. You can get that on YouTube and listen to that if you like. But Donna played that for me. Um, so it took me out of my funk, let's put it that way. Um, so we're going to look at Psalm 1. And I titled it The Blueprint for Success. And though it's only a few verses, especially the blueprint portion of it, it maybe could have been something written on a napkin in far as a plan, but it's very heavy. It's not that simple. Um, so anyhow, hold on to your seat. So many of you know. Uh, For a good portion of my years, probably a third of my life, I worked with my hands. I was, uh, you know, I built trusses, I built motorhomes, manufactured homes, uh, cabinets, uh, worked as a carpenter, became a residential contractor. And so in doing that, I had to follow plans. I had to follow blueprints. They could have been as simple as something off of a napkin that somebody wanted to have made. Or it could have been something as elaborate as that required all these pages upon pages and specification upon specification and engineering calculation after engineering calculation to perform and get the thing um, built. But the whole idea was that the result would end up being what the architect and the client wanted to be produced didn't matter the scale of the design or the calculations. It was really, is it going to provide the result that the architect and the designer wanted to have? This is not unique to me, OK? Operating from a plan is not unique because of what I've done with my, in my life. All of us set forth plans. All of us do it. Um, we work from plans to accomplish something, to meet a goal or create something. We all do that, okay? They don't have to be drawings. They could be recipes. They could be steps in a process. In the end, the plan helps us get something done. That's what it does. It helps us get somewhere. So when we look at Psalm 1 today, we are looking at something that the psalmist put together to help them get somewhere. So you look at Psalm 1 and you look at it and you say, well, why is it there? Well, it's, if you look at it and how it's written, it doesn't necessarily match much of what the Psalms is, how they're, how they're written. It doesn't really have a meter to it, like to sing it. Um, it fits more in the wisdom books. It fits more in Proverbs. So, like, why is it there? It's setting the tone for the book of Psalms. It's setting the tone for us as believers to follow, to prepare us, to develop us so that we can be fully capable of worshiping the Lord God. It's just setting the tone. And part of the reason I was in the funk is because it's, you know, the first part is You know, you hear blessed and all of a sudden it goes wicked, sinner, blah, blah. And it just seemed like kind of really much heavier than I wanted it to be. And that's why I liked the poor Bishop Hooper version because it was all about joy. It was all about, you know, following the plan and being like this, you know, beautiful thing. So at any rate, we're going to look at this psalm. It's like a prologue or gateway into the book of Psalms. It sets the tone, Um, and basically, if one's going to worship the Lord, they have to embrace his law, okay? Now, the word law, you know, it's really Torah, okay? It really is basically the first five books of the Bible. So it's not all the Ten Commandments. It's certainly not all of Leviticus. It's also talking about creation. It's talking about how God dealt with his children. It's talking about how God rescued them. It's showing the covenant that he put together for his people for them to follow. It's all of those things. It's all of that instruction, not just what we would consider a law. Okay? But for the psalmist here, you know, you're basically seeing two ways. You're seeing the wicked and you're seeing the righteous contrasted, there's no middle ground, no middle ground. So the psalm contrasts the moral distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who would conform to God's plan and purposes and those who ignore those purposes and disrupt the order. That's the contrast, okay? So as I said, it doesn't physically fit stylistically in the book of Psalms if it's more in Proverbs. So, if, here's an example of, of Proverbs 2, and it says <clears throat> in, ver, in 2, verse 12 through 15, and then 20 through 22 following, it says, Delivering you from the way of evil, from men who perverted speech, uh, perverted speech, who forsake the paths of righteousness, to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and devious, who are devious in their ways. And then verse 20 says, So you will walk in the way of the good and keep the paths of the righteous, for the upright will inhabit the land and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. That kind of verbiage, that kind of style is what this is kind of written in. It's not, um, it doesn't fit necessarily in the way the rest is. But it does have features. The imagery is spectacular. There's a lot of parallels that you're going to see. Those things are very much in keeping with what Psalms are like. We don't know the person or persons that wrote it. We don't know who compiled it or who the editor was. But it was placed at the beginning of the book for a reason. Uh, There are some commentators in the past that put it together with Psalm 2. And they looked at Psalm 1 as being a wisdom uh, orientation to the Psalms. And Psalm 2, a prophetic orientation to it. The foundation of the righteous, if you'd flip to the next slide for me. Thank you. I broke it down into three, in three parts. Foundation of the righteous, not so the wicked, and then the Lord knows. So as it was was read, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Blessed, some translations say happy, Some say um, joy, use the word joy. But the contrast here is the blessed man, which is basically a, a word or a description of this righteous person who's trying to follow the covenant of God. The wicked in this passage are those who are not following the covenant of God. So walking, we're all very familiar with walking, but not as familiar as they were, okay? We're the ones that drive around a parking lot to get as close to the store as we can so that we don't have to walk, okay? They walked everywhere. So walking was, you know, a very common image for them. And it says, you know, Blessed is man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. And it seems like a progression, but as we get into it, really, it really isn't. But then it goes on But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree, and somebody mentioned earlier the tree pointing towards God planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, in all that he does, he prospers. So the blueprint portion of it is spelled out in verses 1 and 2. What to avoid and what to do. If you're one who wants to follow the Lord and worship him, this is what you avoid and this is what you do. Um, this state of blessedness or happiness or joy is not a result of following that. It is the outcome of following it. Okay, It's not like this arbitrary, I'm going to do it so God blesses me. No, it's the outcome of living a life that follows these things that God is talking about here. So it's not a reward, although we might think it is, really is a byproduct of living in the order and in the way in which he would have us live. So there's three parallel lines, right? Walk, counsel, counsel is like advice. If you wanna flip to the next slide, you can. I think we have a graph, there you go. So walk, don't walk, we don't walk in the counsel of the wicked. Counsel is like a level of advice. We're gonna follow the advice of somebody who is not following the covenant, who's not living in a godly manner. Then it says, nor stands in the way of sinners. So standing be like in the way or in the path is really kind of like choosing to live or following that lifestyle, okay? It's progressed from advice and now I'm in in that life. I'm living that kind of life. Nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Now, the scoffers, um, it's kind of nuanced there. It could be, it talked about babbling. It talked about loose talk. And really, it's those who, it's probably the most, if you're going to label a trajectory and the one that is the most egregious, the scoffers would be the most egregious because they're basically poo-pooing everything God is saying. So we want to avoid that, but it's not like they're phases, like you start off in phase one where I'm just gonna listen to these people and then all of a sudden I jump into phase two, I'm in their lifestyle, and then all of a sudden three, I'm sitting in that group and I'm scoffing. It could be, it's just an overall picture of what to avoid, a dimension, a way of life to avoid. But it's not that simple, especially for us today. We are inundated with that lifestyle. We are inundated with advice. We are inundated with these things just through media, through everything. It wasn't easy for them either because these are people in their own community. These are not people outside their community. These are people in the community who are children of Israel who are opting not to follow the covenant. Okay? Then it goes on to say, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Now, the delight, <laughs> I'm th- I was, as I was reading that verse initially, I'm thinking to myself, okay, I'm going to delight in the law. And then I, immediately I'm thinking of some sacrificial thing in Leviticus. And I'm thinking, am I going to delight in that. But if I looked at it from the perspective of Torah, if I looked at it from the perspective of instruction, if I looked at the perspective of the God who loves me and has brought me through all these things, and who've, who set these laws for my welfare for me to follow, then it, it, it helped me move beyond that kind of picture and go, okay, I can take pleasure in that. But the word delight is more than taking pleasure, okay? There's a, there's a um, sense of heart in it, okay? It is about being, having your heart be soft and tender and open to God. It's not just about taking this pleasure. It is about being available to receive what God is Putting before me. So take that in mind, keep that in mind when you're talking about delight. It is you opening up. It is you being soft and available to what God is showing you. Now, if we if we flip back to those walk, you know, the ways again, Proverbs 4:14 4, says, Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of evil. Proverbs 1.10 says, My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Psalm 26, 4 says, I do not sit with men of falsehood, nor do I consort with hypocrites. Those are kind of the steps. I'm not in this path of wicked. I'm not walking, walking in the way of their evil. I'm not taking their advice. I'm not letting these sinners entice me. And I'm not going to consent and live the way they do, nor do I sit with these in falsehood and consort with these hypocrites. So those are those counsel way and gathering okay I chose gathering versus seat because the seat was a place where they would gather to make some kind of judgment it was an assembly it wasn't just sitting in a chair so as I said there seems to be a progression but it's or regression if you want to call it that in that and then all of a sudden it says but this person doesn't do this he delights in the law of the Lord. takes pleasure is open and then it says on this his law he meditates day and night now you know it's not the cross your legs "Mm," kind of thing okay it is uh meditation is reading thinking marking and reviewing what you've read it may be journaling it's more than a silent reflection. The root of this word also implies some kind of utterance, like a whisper, a murmur. It's literally supposed to be on the tip of your tongue. OK, that's the kind of meditation it's supposed to be. It's not just supposed to be um, uh, a one-off either, because it says day and night. Now, I'm, you know obviously it's not meant to be a 24-hour period. But it does suggest that it can be done anytime and can just be done frequently and throughout the day. And it, says, and it also basically is saying it's a constant. It's something that's constant for you, OK? It's a, to be a constant in your life, setting the ideal of facing every situation, OK, even the mundane, with a view of pleasing the Lord. You're asking questions. You're asking God, how can I change as you're meditating on this? How can I grow? What do you What are you saying to me in this process? Okay. Joshua 1.8 also talks about this. It says, The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For when you... For then you will make your way prosperous, then you will have good success. Okay? Then in verse 3, we get into more imagery and the tree really illustrating abundance and prosperity of the righteous, okay? Try to picture an arid land where there's not a lot of trees, a tree was special. A tree stood out. A tree provided shade. In this case, it's bearing fruit. It's giving nourishment. A tree was a big deal. A tree is a big deal. Okay? And again, it's, this is not a reward for this meditating. It's just an outcome of what's been going on with you and the Lord in that process. This tree flourishes with constant water supply, okay? It's by a river. It could be a channel of that's been uh, like in a field where lots of water flows through it because they've set it up that way as irrigation, but it's a stream. It's a constant flow of water for them, okay? And this tree is growing and thriving And this tree bears fruit. The leaves don't shrivel up. They don't wither. Okay. Even the tree was, the leaves were important to tree. As you know, Miguel talked about oxygen earlier. Um, But also they used it for dyes. They used the leaves for things too. It wasn't just the fruit for nourishment. So the tree provided a lot. Okay. So when when it talks about here um, that they're going to everything that he does, prospers. It's based on God's provision. It's not based upon anything else. Prosperity does not mean that God's people have immunity from failure or difficulties, nor does it guarantee health or wealth or happiness. But when we apply God's wisdom, the fruit we bear will be good and receive God's approval. That's the prosperity we're talking about. It's not the, quote, prosperity gospel that we've had before. Okay? When we apply God's wisdom, the fruit we bear will be good and receive God's approval. I want you to note And take note that the tree is not for itself. It's for others. So when we are avoiding the world and we are meditating on the word and following the Lord and if the byproduct is the tree and the byproduct is fruit, it's not for us. It's for others. I also want to remind you that we were the sinners, right? Don't we? Don't get on a high horse, and because we're righteous, our righteousness is because of Christ. So for us today, it's even greater, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But the tree is not for itself; it's for others. Then it contrasts again. So here's the trees, all this abundance and all this life and all this fruit and all these leaves that never wither. Then all of a sudden it gets not so the wicked. Um, verse 4 of that. If you flip the slide again. Thank you. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Donna was making a comment as we were driving. She was being funny because you know how your car should have those anti-collision kind of kind of things. Well, the, we were just driving the run and my th- car did that. There was nothing in front of my car. And she goes, maybe it was the chaff. <laughs> you know, she was being, trying to be funny there. <laughs> um, but the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Okay, so the wicked, basically, are those that are not following the covenant. The blessed are blessed. Basically, the people who are following the covenant—they're not perfect. They're just trying to follow the covenant. They're trying to do what the Lord's asking them to do. They are abundant. They're an abundant tree with a constant source of water. Okay, bearing fruit, etc. But the chaff, you know, we've, we've, you know, we know about the winnowing fork and then throwing up in the air and the light stuff gets blown away and the stuff that's going to be of use is on the ground for them to collect and use. The chaff are still part of the crop, but there's something light. They're useless and vulnerable. I want you to remember vulnerable, okay? It is a symbol of a faithless life that drifts along without direction. That's what chaff is. It's that kind of symbol. They're a part to be disposed of by the farmer. Okay, going to throw it away, get blown away. Okay, that's what the chaff is. What a contrast from the abundance and all these things, a a list of things that God's providing to, if you follow this path, you're like the chaff. Verse 5 says, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Now if you go back to verse 1, you know we had those things of we talked about, it had stand, and I think it said seat, but I use the word gathering, where well, the gathering could be congregation. So here again is a parallels. Stand and congregation, okay? So the wicked won't stand in the judgment, nor sinners in their congregation of the righteous. Now, when you first look at this, you could look at this and think um, that it only means the end. But it really, in this case... That would be the ultimate outcome. But in this case, it's also any time the community was getting together to meet, to decide on some kind of decision that had to be made right. The wicked had no place in those conversations. Okay. No substance, nothing to add. And so that's why they were not able to stand in that place and nor could they be in the congregation of the righteous and make those decisions, okay? That's really what it's talking about here. If we look at it from a perspective of Daniel 7, it would be the end. If we look at it from the majority of the Old Testament, it doesn't necessarily mean the end. It could be in any court type situation. So you see that parallel between those two, but it also goes back to verse 1 where it talked about walking, standing, sitting. Where it talked about um, gathering. Then the Lord knows. The last verse, Psalm 1-6. You can flip to that if you would for me. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So again, human beings are of two kinds. Those who are following the covenant and those who are not following the covenant. And it's being contrasted all throughout the psalm, this psalm, back and forth. Those who are following are like this tree. Those who are not following are like the chaff. Okay, so, but it says here, the Lord knows the way of the righteous. So, what does that mean? Knows the way of the righteous. The Lord knows them. There's other scripture passages that you can read in Psalms and in Proverbs where it talks about the Lord hearing and seeing and knows all these things. And it's not just the idea of knowing. It's also the idea of protecting or guarding that path that you're on, okay? It's not just about, I know you. God is looking out for those who are following his way. There's a trust factor there that these people have with the Lord. If we look at the other books in Psalms and you hear the cries and those laments, and you hear the response back from God because of their cries, they're able to say what they say because they have a faith that believes God created them, that they are following him, and that God can do these things, and they put it to God to make those changes for them. Okay? And God responds, or their heart changes. Something happens. There's like one psalm where you hear silence, and that's Psalm 88. Uh, there's, there's no response back. It's just a person crying out. But how many times do you remember that little thing where, you know, all you saw was the, foot, the footsteps in the sand kind of thing, where that was where God was carrying you. The, even in that silence, God was there. But the Lord knows. It says, the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So he, the Lord knows and protects our way, And it's a joy to know that God is watching our paths. The paths we walk each each day, God knows it. God is available, God is there with us. We're not just walking around willy-nilly, although we may think we are. God sees with loving eyes, protecting us, caring for us, and keeping us from stumbling on the journey. But the, on the wicked side of the equation here, again, in the contrast, basically the destiny is doom. If you continue down this path, it's not going to be good. Okay? Again, it's not a punishment any more than the happiness of the righteous is a reward. These are both presented as outcomes of following these different lifestyles following a different way, the way of life they've chosen. You know, we we can look in the New Testament, and Jesus, you know, contrasts it too. In the Sermon on the Mount, he says, Matthew 7, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few." So when we, look at this, when we look at this psalm, what does it mean for us today? Has anything changed? Well, I would say we still need to avoid things, certain things, certain activities, certain behaviors, certain ways of thinking. And we need to reinforce the thinking and the behaviors that God would have us reinforce. We still blow it on a regular basis and need God's care and help to move forward. I would also say that we need to be reminded again that we are the tree and that we are for others. And so we are supposed to be the hand and feet of Jesus. We're also supposed to be sharing the gospel with those who who aren't following the covenant so that they have an opportunity to make that choice and follow it just as we have. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you so much for your love and your mercy and your grace that's bestowed upon us. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for the fact that we had the opportunity to hear your word and come to know you, Jesus. Thank you that we can still grow and still follow you and still learn more and more from your word. Thank you now, Lord, that it's not just five books, but it's been expanded much beyond that, much more instruction, much more ways for us to enjoy you and your word and to learn from you and grow in you. Thank you for what you've done and what you will do. In Jesus' name, amen. Peter, God has a blueprint for success.